This is Mid-Missouri's Total Sports Station. KTGR, and it's time to get big. That was a big-time answer right there. You've got the big show with Andy and Brent serving up sports talk from Mizzou to the pros. And everything in between. Join us now on the KTGR hotline and sound off on today's biggest stories in sports. The big show starts now. You bet it does. Welcome into this Tuesday edition of the Big Show on ESPN 100.5 and 105.1 KTGR, your total sports station in Mid-Missouri. Thanks for tuning in online at KTGR.com and on the KTGR app. Sandy Humphrey, Brendan Schaefer, and a Shades Indoors producer, Chris Mitchell. I mean, he just put it on like right before the show too. I don't know why he needed it's to do that. It's a in here, just like my future. But it wasn't. Bit. But like you were, you were like sitting at your desk earlier, and you weren't wearing them. And he wasn't now wearing you them. All of a sudden, are it's like showtime, yeah. and now he's he's wearing the shades. I'm I, dialed in. He, he's dialed in. Well, let's hope to be as dialed in as producer Chris is today. How about the good, the bad, and the ugly from Championship Weekend? Good start. That's a good start. Plenty that was good and bad and. Ugly from just two games in the NFL. It was jam-packed from this weekend, so we'll get into it. We'll also talk the injuries that both the Chiefs and 49ers are having to you know, monitor this next couple of weeks before the Super Bowl. With Will Carroll, the injury expert, he'll join us at 425 to talk all things NFL injuries. We'll also talk some Mizzou basketball, and uh, this is just a hypothetical. So we're we're kind of going into dreamland a little bit with this. Why not? Would you rather have a situation where Mizzou's years, like the the last couple of years or really a year and a half that they've had under Dennis Gates, were flipped, but they were doing well this year uh-huh. after a down year last season, or would you prefer how it is right now? We'll get into that at five oh five. New That's contract a brain details, buster. is it? It's kinda, I think it is. Kind of weird to think about, uh, but we'll get into it at 5.05. Reports coming out about uh, Mizzou's new defensive coordinator, the contract that he's got. 5.25, we'll discuss that. And Mizzou Wrestling, well, they had a split in their two duels over the weekend against Cornell and West Virginia, but a big-time matchup with Oklahoma State coming up this Sunday at the Hearn Center. Brian Smith, Mizzou Wrestling Coach, will join us at 545 to talk about that. 875-KTGR, you can call or text us. You can also tweet us at KTGR Big Show and find us on Facebook, too, at facebook.com slash KTGR Big Show. Now, the Big Show's Big Deal. Yeah, it's definitely a, uh, a long couple of weeks before the Super Bowl, but the Chiefs are going to start practice on Thursday. That's what head coach Andy Reid uh, said earlier this week uh, so that they can start preparing for Super Bowl 58 against the San Francisco 49ers. They know for a fact that they will not have Charles Omenahu. The reports came out yesterday that he suffered a torn ACL in the AFC Championship game against the Ravens. So Omenahu, after 11 games with the Chiefs, well, he'll have to nurse that injury and try to get ready for 2024 uh, next season. He is under contract for next year with the Chiefs, so we'll see his recovery process. On Tiger Talk last night, Mizzou head coach Dennis Gates said that both Anthony Robinson and uh, Trent Pierce uh, should be available tomorrow for the game against Arkansas. But Gates did say today that 
They do have to monitor Pierce's illness and see if he's ready to go. That is the big show's big deal on this 30th day of January 2024, 875-KTGR. If you want to call or text us here on the show to uh, get things started with what we always do on Tuesday after a big NFL weekend. And this was certainly a big one. From the two championship games, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Tell us what you thought was good and bad and downright ugly from the AFC and NFC championships. 875-KTGR to call or text us here on the show. The good was certainly the Chiefs' defense. I mean, you have to say, top to bottom, start to finish, there were very few things to be upset about when they were going up against the, the league MVP in Lamar Jackson. And they holding the 10 points 100% in the good for me. And if, if I could give more than 100%, I would. Yeah, they were fantastic. And we've said all year that the defense for the Chiefs has been the unit sort of carrying this team as the offense has sort of had it going in fits and starts. We know the problems. We've talked a lot about them offensively. But the defense has been that constant, and they're playing some of their best ball in the biggest moments. What they did against Lamar Jackson and company was very impressive. Do I think it was a little bit self-imposed at times for Baltimore because of the way that I think they went into panic mode and avoided their bread and butter, which is running the football? Yeah, I think that the Chiefs were fortunate, but they played the hand that was dealt to them, and the hand that was dealt to the Chiefs was, hey, defend the pass, keep things in front of you as much as you can, and... Baltimore's going to decline to run the football against you. And the Chiefs responded to the game plan that Baltimore tried to put out there, and they did so really, really effectively. And it's a huge reason why the Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl this season. It's the main reason, if we're being honest. I mean, look, yeah, it's it's that. It's Travis Kelsey, the way that he played, absolutely in the good this week. I mean, just needed to show up in the right moments. And, and this is two games now in a row, I mean, two playoff games on the road. Catches two touchdown passes in Buffalo. Catches another one here and goes off for more than 100 yards. This is the Hall of Fame player that we expected all season long, and it's showing up all of a sudden. Good that it's showing up there. Does this kind of show you, though, that for Travis Kelsey, the narrative of, oh, he lost a step, he's getting up there in age, can we just kind of put that to bed? Like he's That's the same ugly. guy. That narrative is the same guy. Is ugly. I agree. He is the same guy. But and I get it. Like we did, we maybe sometimes get suckered into that a little bit. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I I think I've been relatively consistent on that for a are, number of weeks. Are there people out there that look? It's bad intentions and everything like that. But are there people out there wanting him to fail because of his new girlfriend? I mean, there oh, could maybe. be. Could be. I mean, that I'm sure that in, in the wide vast array of of media landscape that there's some people out there that have kind of taken that on but in reality like you would look at the numbers for some of the games if you were just watching the box scores you would say oh he's taking a step back but we have talked a lot about how this offense has kind of been a little bit disjointed at times and when the offense isn't flowing the way that it has historically is the top option in that offense going to maybe suffer as a result of it sure but if you're watching the games I think Travis Kelsey has largely been the same guy. And with some of the plays that he's making right now in the playoffs, he's showing exactly that. The touchdown catch, Andy, was absolutely masterful by Travis Kelsey. 
just doing what he's always done. He's physical against the defender, puts himself in a position to make the catch, to get the body parts down necessary to uh, secure the ball and secure the touchdown. He is at the peak of his game, even at the age that he's playing at. There's no doubt in my mind after seeing him in the last couple of weeks. 875-KTGR. Power text us with your good, bad, and ugly from Championship Weekend in the NFL. Baltimore game plan. Bad. That's in the bad. I I won't call it ugly, but it was just poor. It was poor management to me. And that's hard to say from a John Harbaugh coach team. I think he's, I think he's a top three coach in this league. I was shocked to see how all that uh, played out for them. Just. I mean, yeah, you could probably knock him down a peg or two on your whatever your well, coach rankings were based off of that. But well, here's my thing. Todd Munkin is what I want to highlight as the bad because I feel like we we thought coming into the year that he was going to play more to the strengths of Lamar Jackson, and that was kind of his first big moment as an offensive coordinator at the NFL level. We don't doubt what he was able to do at Georgia when he had better talent than everybody else by a long shot. But this was kind of the moment where maybe he needed to rise to the occasion in his play calling. And I, I would say he sort of shrunk under the pressure of the occasion when, as we mentioned, you have a 15-yard run by Gus Edwards, and then a couple times you get stopped at the line of scrimmage on first and 10. And that is what causes you to abandon what's been your bread and butter the entire season, the run game. I think that's where I really want to highlight and say that was bad coaching. And John Harbaugh is the, the CEO of the organization, but... For Todd Munkin, I, I don't think it was a very good day for him at all. It was very bad. I just, again, don't understand why they went away from what's good for what they do well, which is like what the – we talked about it just to make the analogy. We talked about Mizzou all year and how right. their offense had evolved. You want to know why they evolved? I mean, yes, Brady Cook and, and Cody Schrader and, and players stepping up into bigger roles. But the offensive staff put them in positions that they're comfortable in. They kept doing what was working. Kirby Moore kept calling run plays when Cody Schrader kept running for 10, 15 yards at a time. Don't go away from it. That's essentially what the Ravens did the opposite of. I just, I don't understand why teams just go away from what's good for them in these big-time moments. I don't understand it. I know you have to adjust for your opponent, but this was an opponent that you could run on by the numbers. And I think in this case they got spooked partially by the run not working like a couple of times, which, like, that makes no sense. You... You go through an NFL season, you're not, you're not going to get eight yards on every play. Yeah. So that part of it. But I think the time of possession factor really did weigh on the Ravens, knowing that, hey, we haven't been possessing the ball a ton. And, man, what if we what if we go three and out by running the ball? We don't let our playmaker, Lamar Jackson, have his opportunities. And I think they overthought that angle of it. But I want to ask you this, Andy. Where do you put Lamar Jackson for this game? How much of a blame does he take? With the ability, like you would have yeah. to think, a veteran quarterback, an MVP caliber quarterback, does he not have the leverage at the line of scrimmage to maybe check to a run or do some of those things that we thought Todd Munkin was going to integrate to the Ravens' offense? But it, he didn't seem to. I don't know where do you where do you lay the blame on some of that? Yeah, I mean it's. I thought he did pretty well. His offensive line, I don't think, helped him out all that much. The run plays that he had were very good. I thought when he tucked and run and, and ran it, uh, that was very effective for them. And throwing the football, I mean, yes, there were a few 
miscues. He had a pick. Yeah, the pick was late, right? Wasn't it? Uh, kind of later in the game. Well, the interception with Isaiah likely at the triple end zone. Coverage. Triple coverage. Can't do that. I'll right? say ugly by Isaiah likely can putting you, his yeah. arm up. Like, he's he's like, I got what? this, dude. I he can did. get this. Watch this. It was, yeah. it was crazy. Why are you doing that when you're triple covered? I don't understand. Like, at a minimum, he had to know he was doubled. The, maybe the other safety comes over and now it's three. But for likely, I'm going to go straight to the ugly category for that. But it, I just wonder how much of a responsibility. And maybe it's unfair. Maybe we just laid on the feet of the OC, Todd Munkin. But at some point, does Lamar go, you know, getting our running backs involved is maybe something we got to do. And you have that authority, perhaps, to audible to something if you see the Chiefs basically selling out on the pass defense because you know at a certain point that you've got to get back to balance if you're going to be able to strike against them. I, I mean, wonder if yes, that I, was part of it. It's hard to know the inner workings and how right. much they give Lamar Jackson to check plays like that. He's the MVP, though. You know what I mean? Like, No, he is the MVP, and he should have some control over that with what yeah. he's seeing out there. So you're right. You have a point. Like, if he, if he doesn't have control over that, he should in the future. His numbers don't scream bad. No, the but, numbers weren't bad. The numbers were they were fine. But, I mean, it, when we talk about the moment and we talk about being at home and we talk about the situations that you're in and... Look, he's not the one that made Zay Flowers taunt or fumble the football at the end. Right. There, his his players around him did not uh, help him out all that much. We'll call him bad and worse, by the way. Yeah, Zay Flowers uh, yeah. had a great game on the numbers, but those moments really came back to haunt the Ravens. At, at the same time, though, I mean, you still had the moments from Lamar Jackson of, dude, why are you throwing that ball in the yeah. middle of the field when three guys are there and only one of your guys is there? It's just, come on. I, I'm going to... I'm going to say between good and bad, I I don't know where to put him. I so, really see, don't. I'm going to massage the definitions a little bit. I'm going to say that he didn't play bad, but it was an ugly display. Not like ugly as in being worse than bad, but it's ugly for the narrative of what this is going to do, right? Because now everybody's having the same conversations about Lamar Jackson of, oh, he, you know, he shrinks in the big moment. I think that's ugly for his legacy. The guy's got to get to a Super Bowl at some point, right? Otherwise, I, I do think it's... You get a full career, and you, I know it's a team sport, but at some point, Lamar, I do think, has to get over that hump. A little tougher to do when you play in a conference with Patrick Mahomes. I will acknowledge that part of it. 875-KTGR. Give us your good, bad, and ugly from championship weekend. All right, we have to go to the other game. I guess so. All right. Brock Purdy. Where do you put him? I, I put, can't. Because I put him in the good. I can't even I do that. I good. won't. I won't. I should. Why not? Bitterness. Because he played bad in the first half. He played bad in part of the second half until he gets an absolute gift by the defensive back for the Lions, dropping it off his helmet into Brandon Ayuk's hands. And then he played great after that. But it was, I mean, how can you just one encompassing word for either of these teams the way that game played out? Brock Purdy, good in the second half. There were some ugly moments, and he benefited from them. Like, he didn't even have to suffer for the ugly, ugly that he participated in in the game. It was ugly for the Lions to allow the comeback. It should never happen. There are, I mean, looking back, would Dan Campbell do it differently? He'll say no. But, like, butterfly effect, if you kick the field goal the first time, does that butterfly effect all the other bad stuff out of your game? Or were the Lions just destined to choke? I don't know, Andy, but it was ugly and borderline unwatchable for me as somebody who was really pulling for Detroit to get that win. It felt so good. It felt so good at halftime. Everything was gravy. And then it just completely 
I'm not, I'm not seeing collapses like that very often in sports. I'm not. I don't think I'm being like crazy, you know, hyperbolic guy either. It was one of the biggest collapses that I've seen in oh, a while. Well, you have a 17 point lead in a playoff game at halftime. You expect that to sucks. Keep it. It's yes. not something that teams very normally come back from. So no, I. You're right. We saw something pretty epic towards the second half of that game. I want to give Brock Purdy credit. Come on, man. Do it. Like, this then is do just it. like, like. No, I'll let you no, do look, it. No, look, he's. He was 20 of 31, 267. He had a bad pick early. I get it. There's a mistake there. Should have been a but two pick, though. Like, how, no, no, how I get do you do it differently if, if I mean, that's a pick and not a touchdown drive? I'm looking at how he's operating the offense. He operated it in the way that it should have been operated uh, throughout that second really half. Well. He ran well. He, he got was it to the guys that needed to get it, to get the football in their hands. Yeah, I, know. I mean, look, there's. I'm not trying to make him an MVP candidate. He was this year. I guess he's going to be one of the five finalists. No, not trying to do that. I think we do have to that we do have to agree that the evaluation that he had as being one of the lower quarterbacks in the draft, being the last guy taken, he's outplayed no. that. Come yeah, on, they missed, he's they, outplayed the, it. The entire NFL missed on Brock Purdy. Now, would he be as good in other schemes, et cetera, et cetera? I don't no, know. He, it doesn't matter though, right? It's irrelevant. He's he's in the middle of the in the middle of the the, the NFL quarterback table, in my opinion, in the teens somewhere. If I had to, to peg it, but. I, I just I have a hard time with saying he's in the good specifically because if that second interception that wasn't is an interception that it should have been, the Lions win the game and Brock Purdy probably throws one more interception later on because they're chasing the game more than they would have been. I I just that play changed so much and it gave him confidence as it should have and, and what he did with that confidence should be commended because he was brilliant after that moment. But that should have been an interception, and it should have been the lowest moment of the season for the Niners after taking advantage of the fourth down stop, and they get the ball back, and then you turn it right back over. That should have been the absolute doldrums for that team, and one guy bouncing a ball off his hands and his helmet changes everything. So I'm bitter. I totally acknowledge that I'm bitter, and that's why I don't want to give Brock Purdy credit. He was really good in the second half after that moment, though. What was bad was the... Decision to run on third down at the end by the Lions. Unforgivable. Unforgivable. If if Mike McCarthy had made that decision, we'd be asking him to be fired all this week. <laughs> yes. Which I was doing anyway. But what was ba- well, yes, uh, he should be anyway. McCarthy. No, no, right? I, you know, again, he didn't even have to have that type of decision to you know have to be fired. Uh, the fact that they went away from the run in the second half, I think, also bad. Like, he, yeah, I, I know Jameer, I know Jameer Gibbs fumbled, but you don't have to give him the ball. You can give it to Montgomery. He didn't run yeah. very much in the second half. Um, that was working for you, and you went away from it again, kind of like the Ravens did. Run the ball more, and what's ugly is everybody miss misplacing their anger on Dan Campbell. Right? I think so. it, it's the yes. misplaced anger on what he did wrong in this game and what caused the Lions to lose it. Because we don't know what happens if Michael Badgley is attempting those field goals in those spots. We it's don't not know. A guarantee. Yeah, yeah. It's not taking the points. It's trying to get three points. Not a guarantee. And limiting your upside, right? You're you're basically saying we yep. forego the opportunity to score a touchdown on yep. this drive. We forego the opportunity to continue possessing the football, letting time bleed off the clock as we have a lead. 
If the Lions, if Josh Reynolds just catches a ball that hits him square in the chest, the Lions win the football game and they're in the Super Bowl. I completely believe that because it took the emotional toll of everything that followed to swing that game in San Francisco's favor. I don't blame Dan Campbell for the call. Obviously, do I wish he had done it differently? Now I can say yes, but only because of the information after the fact. And I think it's intellectual dishonesty and just simply being disingenuous for people to say, you wait till the end of the end of the game or wait till then uh, uh, like horrific flukish things are happening to the lions in the aftermath to say, see, I told you so. I don't think so. I, it took those flukish things to lose the game the way that they did. Um, Josh Reynolds catches that ball. Lions probably do give the ball to Montgomery a few more times on that drive. They probably score or at least get themselves a field goal, and it's a different situation. Um, I'm I'm sick over it, Andy. I really am, but I agree with you. I don't think that that was the big mistake that everybody made it out to be. Again, the narratives are kind of gross. I've heard several people say that this week, but it, I know each situation is different, but if you're torn on whether to kick it or go for it, Maybe a tiebreaker in this scenario is ask yourself, if you're the other team, what do you want me to do? What Great makes point. you happy? <laughs> are you yeah. happy with me kicking a field goal? If you are, then I'm going for it. If you're happy with me brilliant. going for it, then guess what? I'm kicking it. like that. Do the opposite of what your opponent would want you to do. I think if I were a Niners fan in that first moment, I would have been like, you know what? Go ahead and kick it. Go ahead and kick it. It's not a guarantee that this guy can make it. He's not been great from 48 plus. And Lions score a touchdown on that drive. The game is over. Definitively, the game is over if that's a 21-point deficit. Um, 17, it's tough, but I think there still would have been a way back for the Niners. It would have been tougher. I agree with you. I think if I'm a Niners fan, I would have been like, "Ah, maybe send out that guy and he shanks one like our kicker did. That's a good point. Yeah. So I mean that that's uh that's a way to break your tie if you are torn on one decision or the other in that or sense. Or just say what got us here. What, exactly. what what kind of football team are we? Be you, right? you, right? You go down with no regrets. And so that's just again, when I say I wish you'd done it differently, that is only knowing the final score and saying, "Oh, maybe there would have been a completely different game that I would have gotten to watch and the memories of the literally, I'm not going to go back at the game log and look. I want to forget that it ever happened. But the 12 to 15 plays, probably in a row, where the worst inexplicable thing happened to the Lions, it it, it was uncanny how many plays in a row that it happened for until the Niners found themselves tied. Crazy. But give us your good, bad, and ugly from the weekend. Eight seven five KTGR. It was quite an action packed championship weekend in the nfl so give it to us at 875ktgr here on the big show as far as injuries for both the chiefs and 49ers well they're both dealing with some that's could affect how super bowl 58 looks and we'll ask the injury expert will carroll on guys like joe joe tooney for the chiefs george kittle for the 49ers what's happening with some of those injuries we'll talk about them with will carroll the injury expert next on the big show You're listening to The Big Show Podcast on KTGR.com. 
We're back here on the big show, KTGR, KTGR.com, and the KTGR app with Andy, Brendan, and producer Chris. And it is not yet Super Bowl week, but we're getting there. And it's going to uh, be yet another long two weeks for teams uh, like the Chiefs and 49ers to recover and get ready for the final game of the season. And uh, the injury expert, Will Carroll, joins us here to talk all things uh, football injuries. You can find him on Twitter at Injury Expert and subscribe now to his newsletter for great baseball content under the knife dot substack dot com uh, will it seems that you know with the chiefs there were some injuries that, that kind of piled up uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks or so let's talk about the most recent one that they suffered in the afc championship game charles omenahu the torn acl kind of a tough uh blow for him uh with how well he had been playing in kind of a short yeah. amount of time for the chiefs but now torn acl and the chiefs are are out of pass rusher what's kind of the situation with him yeah, I mean, we saw how key he was to that pass rush, that huge play he had knocking the ball out of uh, Lamar Jackson's hand. Uh, that's a difference maker. And, and to lose a guy like that, and yeah, you can't go and replace him. Um, it, it's just tough. It's bad luck. Um, you know, we can reduce ACL injuries, but we're probably never going to get to zero. And this is just one of those tough ones. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to come back and be ready to go for the start of the season. Uh, but it's close. You know, standard ACL surgery is still six to nine months. There are options. I'm still waiting for an NFL player to go and get a, a fertilized ACL and come back in six months like we've seen with a lot of uh, lower-level athletes. Uh, but for Amenahu, he's going to be watching from the sidelines. Yeah, unfortunate for him. Uh, and we'll see how he bounces back for uh, for next year. He is under contract for with Chiefs. Taylor. Yeah, maybe we make a positive out of it. Maybe he goes up and sits with Taylor. I sure hope that there's an open invitation for Charles Omenahu for that game in the Taylor Swift suite. I, I would, I would definitely advocate for that. Let's see if they if they can make that happen. Uh, for the offensive line in particular, uh, they were without Joe Tooney, and it was kind of a decision. It, it seemed at least uh, it was being framed as a decision to say, look, we. He, he might not, he might be able to go this time around, but we want to be safe. Then afterward, you get two weeks to have him be healthy enough for the Super Bowl. Do you think that's a situation for Joe Tooney with his pec injury uh, that the Chiefs now have a good runway for him to get ready uh, to slot back at left guard when they face off against the 49ers? No, unfortunately, I don't. I hope I'm wrong with this, but all the indications I have are that you know, a couple weeks isn't going to make a difference. You know, he, he just simply wasn't able to play. You can't go out there and play that position with one arm. Uh, They're going to do everything they can. Uh, He's going to do everything they can, but they have to kind of take a look at this. You know, is he going to be willing to go out there and risk further injury? Yes, because you reattach it, you come back. It's a three-month injury, uh, and guys are willing to take those kind of risks. And I I get it. It's a Super Bowl. I get it. But if if he's not functional, he just can't. And I think the interesting thing is we've seen these late season injuries. Um, you know, a couple was it a couple of years ago when when Mahomes had the high ankle sprain, and even though he had his line, uh, dude couldn't move. Right. This year he can move. He looks good out there. He made some of those plays that if you if you read Science of Football, one of the chapters was on the training of how Patrick Mahomes actually does train to do those things you say i've never seen anybody do that well he's done it in practice so many times i I, there was a move he had where he he spun left took a quick step right took two steps forward and then kind of lifted the ball over and i was like 
I've seen him do that in off-season training, that exact kind of move. And it was just like revelatory. And I get why everybody thinks he's so special because he is. But part of the reason he's special is because of how hard he works. So I think if the line is down you know, and plays the way they did last week against a very good defense, uh, that Patrick Mahomes is going to get another chance to be special. Yeah, it was really interesting to see him uh, fall correctly in one of those plays that looked yeah. really awkward when he was going down on one of those sacks. So that was uh, an interesting you know, callback to some of the training that he's had. Will Carroll, the injury expert, with us here on the big show, KTGR and KTGR.com. Isaiah Pacheco kind of was in and out of practice the week before yeah. that game with, with a toe injury. Uh, it, it didn't seem like he was in too much danger to miss this game, but certainly something that, uh, as a running back, you certainly worry about you know lower body injuries like that and so uh, what's kind of the two weeks look like for him as the Chiefs make sure that their top running back is in shape I don't think it's going to be anything I think they're going to keep him off it but uh, the, the interesting backstory and they they kind of referenced this and I think they were going to go to one of the sideline reporters on this and just never did for whatever reason uh, he, he had a toe box put in his shoe and these are unusual it used to be you'd have to make a whole different shoe you'd have to find some welder somewhere to put a piece of steel inside there. And it was an involved process. And evidently he had his, I don't know exactly what kind of shoe he was wearing, uh, but the manufacturer 3D printed one that fit right in there. Uh, and, and so he apparently had no problems with it. He certainly uh, did his typical running angry. And uh, so I don't think he's going to have any further problems. Two weeks rest is probably going to make uh, you know that toe sprain feel a little bit better. Heal up completely? No, but he, he sure looked productive. The other thing I thought, Pacheco is an underrated pass blocker, uh, especially with tuning out. I think he was kind of shadowing that spot and, and watching to see if anything leaked through, and I thought he did an amazing job of that. Will, one more Chiefs thought as it pertains to the wide receiving core. It was interesting to see in the AFC Championship how basically – they said, ah, we're just going to go to the guys that we trust, Rice and Kelsey. But mm. in the Super Bowl, it might be nice to have some ancillary pieces contribute. What of Kadarius Tony, though? Because he uh, has the Instagram situation where he claims in some colorful terms that he's not actually hurt. <laughs> What's your read on this? A lot of implications if he's not actually hurt, and the Chiefs have been pretending that he is. But where do you stand on this uh, one? Yeah, I don't think the Chiefs would risk that. That's a great great medical staff. If they're putting somebody on, on the injury report with an injury, I'm going to guess they're injured. Is it plausible that there's shadow injuries at time? Yes, but for God's sakes, you know, they've had other injuries. Marquez Valdez Scanling has had the oblique injury. It's seemingly half the season. Uh, Michael Hardman, when they brought him back, just hasn't done what he's done, though he's always been inconsistent. Tony's just a distraction. I think uh, yeah, I thought the way Andy Reid addressed it is let's just get this situation out. I'm surprised they didn't just cut him. Yeah, I, I feel like they might cut him at some point. Or if nothing else, they can put on the Super Bowl injury report that he's got a brain injury because I don't think anybody would question it after oh, let's not joke hearing about the Instagram. That. Let's not joke well, about that. I, just saying. I mean, it, it was, it was I, I a know. crazy I, thing it, to hear. It's, it's one of those things where somebody said that about Antonio Brown. And, you know, with all the concussion things, 
it's one of those things where, yeah, I get it. I know why you said it. I'm not faulting you. I'm just like, it's one of those tough things where I I do think we underrate what kind of damage these guys are doing to themselves. And occasionally it shows up like this. Yeah, absolutely. So Uh, quick thought on the 49ers as it pertains to Brock Purdy. We haven't really heard a lot about the whole situation with his elbow, yeah. which was an off-season surgery that coming into the year, there was a lot of question as to whether he would be able to perform. Mm-hmm. And here he is in the Super Bowl. Just your thoughts on kind of the journey that he's taken with somewhat of a newer procedure that seems to have gone really well a year on. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, uh, there was questions about whether he'd be ready for the start of the season. Would he be ready at all? Would his arm strength be down? Uh, he had the internal brace uh, put in his elbow. It, it's been done a lot on pitchers. We've, we've seen it over and over, but it's unusual for football players, especially quarterbacks, to have it. Um, and it was, as far as I can tell, the first of its kind, at least at the pro level. Uh, I'm told there was a high school football or quarterback, but he, he actually played both ways. So there was a question about how much he was quarterbacking. Um, but it's just amazing. You know, this guy came back from a surgery that at the start of the season, I can't tell you how many radio shows and, and podcasts and things I've done where people are like, is Brock Purdy ever going to be good again? Uh, was he just a flash in the pan? Is this Mr. Irrelevant going to be irrelevant again? And no, Keith Meister put a piece of suture tape in his elbow and he's fine. He was back for week one. He moved everybody aside. There hasn't been a question about his arm. He's made really hard throws. He's made window throws. He made that little loopy kind of, it was a Patrick Mahomes kind of throw to get it to juice check on that little over the top thing. It was Brock Purdy has done everything you want a quarterback to do. And the fact that he's doing it on an elbow, that's you know not even a year out from surgery is pretty amazing. And I, I don't think we're talking about it. Uh, I, I don't think the Niners are in the play. Well, they might be in the playoffs, but I don't think they're in this position without Dr. Keith Meister. Yeah, probably so. It's been uh, pretty amazing to see them uh, get through the season and and, and have most of those guys uh, stay healthy. Will Carroll, the injury expert here on the Big Show KTGR. There is a question, it seems, for the next couple of weeks for George Kittle, though. It appears that uh, he suffered a bit of a toe injury in the NFC Championship game. Kyle Shanahan uh, saying that he was uh, day-to-day. What's kind of the... uh, the lingering effects, I guess, for a guy like Kittle uh, with how important he is to that offense and what he might be dealing with in the lead up. Yeah, there's two, there's two kind of rumors and I haven't been able to confirm which it is. There's one where he basically got stepped on and that hurts. Um, You know, it's grass field. So cleats are are used. And if anybody's ever been stomped on by a cleat, uh, it hurts as you'd expect. The other is that he basically has the same thing as uh, Isaiah Pacheco, which is a mild big toe sprain. And, and, you know, when that gets really bad, we call it turf toe. So just think of this as a really mild case of turf toe. Can you play through it? Maybe. Does it affect you? Yes. Does it linger? Yes. So we're going to have to see how Kittle moves. We don't get a lot of looks to guys. Um, You know, they'll have walkthroughs this week. There'll be a lot of recovery. So I'm sure he'll have his foot in the ice tub quite a bit. I I think he'll play. Um, And we always have questions. Heck, Sam Laporta was really questionable, and I hear he's being scheduled for surgery very, very soon. But he, he went for what? nine catches and 100 yards uh, on a bad knee. So I think uh, Kittle in the Super Bowl uh, will be playing its question of effectiveness. 
Definitely so. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Will, what's new at Under the Knife and Fan Buzz these days? Uh, under the knife, we're uh, taking a look around at, at, at basically the lack of things that are happening. I took a look at why the Cardinals should ignore quality starts, even though uh, Ben Fredrickson, a great St. Louis writer, uh, says it's the most important stat for them. And I, you know, I'm excited because I get my vision pro this week. Ooh, is that right? Huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about this. I might watch the Super Bowl in VR. Oh, yeah, should be fun. Yeah, for sure. So go check out underthenife.substack.com to read Will Carroll's uh, great baseball info when it comes to the off season, and then once the season starts, all kinds of great injury info uh, from Will Carroll, and then fanbuzz.com for his football content. Will, thanks for coming on the big show as always. Hope all is well. We'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot, boys. Big show's on at 441 KTGR and KTGR.com. I have to ask Will how watching the Super Bowl and AI uh, or not AI, VR. I just sounded 60 years old just then. Did well, I not? you know. Like, come are on, you watching the Super Bowl on the computer? That was good. Are you that computering good, right now? Dang it. Stop it. Ah. It'll happen to you. Ah, maroon. <laughs> yes. What an ignoramus. VR. VR. You're wearing the VR goggles uh-huh. during the Super Bowl. Is that... Yeah. I, more power to you, I suppose. I mean... Guess we'll have to ask how how that works. Or, be fun or or not, he got dizzy. That that could also happen. But who knows? We'll see. Eight seven five KTGR. If you want to uh, call or text us. All right, under the bus next. <laughs> the Jayhawks now have to My play mine Back in a off. different state for their home games. Mine. It's next. You are listening to the Big Show podcast on KTGR.com. It's time to go under the bus on the big show. Well, well, well. Under the bus of Kansas football for many reasons. But what happened? They are, of course, renovating their stadium. And for being honest, they kind of needed it. But Boo. I, mean, I thought you were telling me they of... were going to blow it up. Well, Brendan, there you is that. Me. Yeah, Brendan was saying that they were going to. You told me they were building the program. I thought they were disbanding the program based from on under the, the bus. They lied to me. Knocking down their stadium. I guess I got my wires crossed. Well, they need some place to play their home games in 2024, so they're playing two of their non-conference games where Sporting KC plays at Children's Mercy Park. It's a fun spot. Okay. Yeah, I see. Kind of small stadium though, but it'll fit them just fine. Um, and then their Big 12 games are going to be played at Arrowhead. Wait a Boy. minute. And Mizzou's not play- invited? Who's playing games Kansas is playing their Kansas, home games huh? at Air- their Big 12 home games at Arrowhead. Arrowhead Stadium located in Kansas City, Missouri. Yes. Am I, am I correct? Exactly. Okay, they haven't moved yet. Yeah. No, they still there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... The only place that they can go, pretty much. So, guess what? Kansas fans, don't forget to uh, fill up right before and after you uh, you leave the stadium. Good luck. For all that. Place those bets across so state line, pal. Stop by the local high V, get uh, stocked so up there, and uh, then cross the state line and you can go back to, to Kansas, wherever you are. So, uh, so yeah, that's going to be interesting. Under the bus. It's more than interesting. They have to play. They have to play their games in a whole other state. Missouri. No, it's not just another state. It's this state specifically. Yes. I think that is 
fantastic. I want Norm Stewart to weigh in. I want his thoughts. Yeah, I want his thoughts <laughs> for sure. The plane there without us. What happened? What happened to the game I love? Somebody put up a billboard of Todd Reesing uh, um, on the way to, uh, oh, to Arrowhead good. Stadium. Uh-huh. I like, I think good. someone was trying to, I think that was on Twitter somewhere. I can't remember where I saw it, but yeah, that, maybe that's a plan. Uh, under the bus to the Washington Commanders. Um, they were en route to Detroit and literally on the plane when the news broke that Ben Johnson, the OC over for the Lions, was going to stay in Detroit and not take either of the two open head coaching uh, jobs. They were really wanting to you know, go over there to Detroit. Now, I think in their defense, they were not only going to talk to Ben Johnson, but I guess also Aaron Glenn, the D.C., about his propensity to maybe be a, a head coach for the Commanders. So did they do that interview, or did they just it turn was, around? It, Ask the special teams coach, too. Why I assume they, they continued the trip just because they had, a, I guess, another reason to be there. Ask but. Campbell. But their main reason, I'm pretty sure, was Ben Johnson. That That's so feels funny. a little cold. Washington Commanders. A little bit. You surprised by Ben Johnson's thing? No, but is this going to be like a Josh McDaniels thing where like every year we're just waiting to see is he going to take a job, is he not going to take one? I think if if your season ended the way that it did there in Detroit and you didn't feel great about the openings that were out there and you're waiting for that perfect one, I say you run it back one more time. They've got a lot of talent coming back. Uh, You can. I mean, they got pretty good players on that offense, so I I think, yeah, I, I... He'll have his prospects into the, the into the future as well. And I think there's the way we hire head coaches nowadays is just so antiquated. It's only OCs and DCs that even get a chance. But I think you I think you go other routes. Like the Patriots went a different route. They went to Rod Mayo, a position coach. Uh, and Antonio Pierce was, was not an OC or a DC beforehand. He was a position coach before he became the interim coach. I think those ways can be a lot better. I think it's just dependent on the person, right? You, if you get sure. the right guy, you get the right guy. But some of those folks are not as experienced. It's typically the more experienced coaches that get their way into the DCOC roles. But I, I hear you. I think for the Patriots, the Mayo hire could work out. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see as far as Pierce. I think that was the, again, like he only got a shot because he was the interim. And a lot of times the interim you feel like is almost dispensable because when you hire an interim that you don't end up bringing on full time, that guy usually leaves. He's gone to another organization. So you don't usually see the like hot shot offensive coordinator take over as the interim midseason right. because the team probably doesn't want to lose that guy. So that's kind of another interesting angle to it as well. It's kind of uh, how, how it works. But Under the bus. We'll see what happens with Ben Johnson in the future. It's kind of cold how he shut the commanders out en route to Detroit. I can't believe they don't have a head coach yet. Everyone else does but them. It's not a great job. It's kind of why. Uh, and under the bus to, I guess, Tennessee, I think more so the NCAA. Uh, Tennessee got slapped with hundreds of violations. Uh, I think it's like five years probation. They lose some scholarships. No postseason ban or anything like that. But they're under investigation for NIL violations, apparently. This is kind of, I we guess, didn't know that was possible. I didn't know that those existed. Um, I didn't know either, like, Honestly, uh, surrounding their five-star QB that they got last year and is supposed to be the starter uh, this year after Joe Milton is moving on. But Tennessee clapped back. Like, their chancellor sent a letter to the NCAA basically saying, look, you guys are seriously going to punish us for guidelines that you're pretending to have about NIL for the last two and a half years. Uh, he didn't hold back on his opening statement in that letter. And Interesting. 
I got to say it. Can't believe I'm saying it. I'm kind of on Tennessee's side here a little bit. Well, what what guidance is there the NCAA yeah. can enforce? I guess you technically still need a bag man. It just has to be run through the proper channels. I don't really know, Andy. I, really I don't, don't know, man. It's Tennessee, though, so it's kind of funny to me. But they're doing it right. They're not copping to anything, and they're basically saying, nah, we're ignoring all <laughs> We don't like you. We're going to fight you on this. Well, right. That's, yes. the, that's the way you end up winning. You just can't admit anything. That's the way you do it. Under the bus. Deny everything. The NCAA knows nothing, and you will get off scot-free. So that's, that's good on you, Tennessee. It's time for the sweetest thing in sports on the big show. can't believe I'm being favorable to Tennessee, but I guess it's 2024 and that's different this year. Are we going to call it sweet? We can call that sweet. I don't know. I'm not going to call that sweet, but there is a sweet thing in sports. It's brought to you by the Candy Factory in downtown Columbia. Anniversary, birthday, any day. And guess what? Valentine's Day. It's only two weeks away, folks. Do not let it slip your mind this year. Head to the Candy Factory in downtown Columbia online at thecandyfactoryonline.com. SEC Freshman of the Week in Gymnastics, Kennedy Griffin. How about that? Her floor routine against LSU on Friday night, a 9.975. That's quite literally just one single notch away from a perfect 10. Cold. It was about as good as you could do, and it came at an excellent time where Mizzou needed to come from behind in the final rotation to come back and beat LSU in that big win at the Hearn Center. And Kennedy Griffin gets the flowers. SEC Freshman of the Week. Good on her. Deserving, and uh, once again, just to remind everybody out there, Mizzou is in fact a gymnastics school. So we are going to continue that moniker. We feel very good about that. And uh, hopefully they continue to uh, to roll through the, the rest of their season. Really impressive stuff over LSU. Gymnastics school, wrestling school, disc golf school. Well, we we do still claim the disc golf, yeah. don't we? I think that's fair. Yeah. Aren't, we a, aren't we a reactor school, too? We have the best reactor. I think the nuclear reactor. Yeah, the nuclear yeah, reactor. We yes. We've got a lot of... There's been a ranking on that, too. Don't look at me funny, number pal. One. Don't look at me funny. <laughs> a lot of pub in the nuclear reactor business, Uh <laughs> Mizzou taking care of business in that uh, regard. Yes, absolutely. So uh, congrats to Kennedy Griffin, SEC Freshman of the Week in the sport of gymnastics. All right. This is an interesting question, and, and i got to say, i got to credit Natalie Jones of ABC 17 for kind of putting this in my mind uh, this weekend. Would you prefer year one of a new head coach for a men's basketball program to be down and then the second year to be up, or – the setup that Mizzou men's hoops is in right now, where last year, excellent first season, and then this year you've got uh, kind of the opposite. It's, it's, it's way down from, from expectations and where it was uh, in year one. But would you rather flip the years if you're a Mizzou fan? We're going to talk about that at 5.05. Corey Batoon's uh, contract details uh, coming out from various reports. We'll talk about that at 5.25. And Brian Smith, the Mizzou wrestling coach, will join us at 545 to talk about the weekend that was for Mizzou wrestling on the road and a big duel coming up with Okie State this weekend. All next year on The Big Show.